Good morning and welcome to the April 2022 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices and buy in bulk at the most opportune time. I'm your host today, Zach Jans, and we got a lot to talk about. There is no doubt about that. New highs in the corn board, fertilizer doing what it's doing. We will get started today with Brian Henry. Brian is with ADM BQCI. Brian, you want to start us off with the grain report? Glad to be with you guys again here this morning. Lots of goings on in terms of both short-term and long-term things to prepare for in these markets. As Zach mentioned, I am Brian Henry. I do manage BQCI, located here in Minneapolis, primary focus, risk management for the country elevator system, as well as producers. We can be found at bqci.com for daily commentary and audio. So with that, we'll touch on a number of things going on here. First off, we'll take a look at some near-term factors. You've seen, of course, since the last time I was with you, the acreage numbers have come out. I believe there'll be some adjustments there. My promise of adjustments higher in corn really early on really kind of stemmed from the idea that we were going to see some early planting. It does not appear that's going to happen, but we are seeing forecasts that skew a little more favorable, and it feels like we can get corn planted in a timely fashion. In addition to that, the economics for corn have improved when compared to beans for many, many areas. Some of these factors have the potential to offer a little bit of resistance here near term. I have to look at the corn market right now as a market that I don't want to be shorted from a speculative standpoint. When you start looking towards new crop, it's a market you can kind of draw some lines in the sand, extend some sales, lay off some of the exposure of high input costs. When I look at it from a speculative standpoint, I think the market can correct here to the downside. I'm just not fearful of that. And I have zero belief that I want to establish short positions here from a speculative standpoint in the corn. When you look at the piece of near term in beans, the piece that keeps jumping out at me is the fact that from a global standpoint, we're not seeing a significant uptick in supplies of beans until the U.S. harvest. And that's an awful long ways off. Those are some of the near-term factors that really you look at it from day to day. The price action just adds a whole bunch of noise in terms of what people are thinking. We're still in a situation where the supply is the worry. Most of the aspects that help these markets get to these levels are still, for the most part, intact. And you see these markets up, down, mostly up. But up, down, and it feels like it just puts a lot of noise into what people are thinking about these markets. Near term and longer term, I think the things you can count on is the moves are going to be sharp. We're probably going to be at a much higher plateau for an extended period of time. Weakness is likely to trigger demand. In some instances, it may be demand that is maybe a little more than Perhaps the global supply can stomach. Certainly, you've got some instances where it can be more than what the domestic supply can stomach. The prudent thing is to extend some sales near these levels, especially if you haven't done any. 
But if you don't extend some sales on new crop, it feels like you're going to get these opportunities once again. In terms of old crop supply, all I can say is let's not make this too difficult. These are values that work. If the current value doesn't work, pick out a level somewhere above that you believe does work. I don't know that I try to outthink trying to get rid of old crop supply at this point. I think it's just a matter of picking levels. They're going to be good levels. Let it go. We're going to talk a lot about the future on this call, of course, when we start looking at fertilizer and other factors. And longer term wise, I still have to have a supportive field towards these markets. But there are a large number of factors that some of them almost impossible to handicap that are going to mean somewhere along the line, we're going to want to be extending some deferred year sales as well. Longer term, personally, I'm bullish. I'm bullish from a standpoint of the supply worry. You take Ukraine out, you've struggled to raise some crops in South America, and we do not know what the U.S. supply will end up being. I still lean towards the side of inflation. If for no other reason, the Fed really hasn't done anything to curb inflation. They're still buying treasuries for Pete's sakes. So until they get serious about that and let that go through the system, you've still got that as a factor that has a tendency to increase capital demand for commodities. The things that could upend these markets, and I don't know if any one of these is any more important for beans or corn or wheat, but you look at the investment side of things, you've had an awful lot of capital flow into these markets. As interest rates start to rise, if people turn back into favor of equities, you may see liquidation of some of that capital. And at a minimum, that provides an offer in these markets. I think it goes against the fundamental picture, but it provides an offer. In addition to that, we've had recent estimates out by the IMF. IMF does not like the prospects of global growth. And ultimately, higher prices have a tendency to drag on global growth. And we're seeing higher prices in energies, commodities, everything. I touched on the Fed a little bit and what they may or may not do with interest rates here going forward. The market's already informed them with the break in fixed income here over the course of the last couple of weeks that they're going to be raising rates. How does that factor in to how the investment community or institutional community views it? I think it has the potential to be a little bit negative, but ultimately... I do believe there's excess capital still looking to own something that can protect them against inflation, and those products would be commodities. So I think that results in some modest breaks from time to time, but ultimately I don't think you see them go palms out in the selling attitude. Part of the issue that's going to be really difficult to figure out here going forward is going to be trade flows. Who's got capital? who's got the ability to ship, what can we insure these ships for, where are they willing to go, and I just don't think a lot of that stuff can be answered at this point. Another item that has the potential to kind of level off the optimism here towards these commodities would be China. China's got a zero COVID policy, pretty draconian. They're looking at a growth rate of 4.4, very, very good growth rate, but that compares to 5.5 as a prior estimate. And in 21, they grew at 8.1. So do we get into a situation where China just simply doesn't need as many commodities as they once needed? 
I have doubts that that'll take place, but it merits some consideration here going forward. So I think the message is there's a lot of factors on both sides. These factors are still developing in terms of what there's going to be for supply through the 22-23 campaign. It feels like current supply is going to require more than one year to result in meaningful increases of global supply. And then, of course, the part where we've got to stay prudent, the part where we've got to make sales, that is going to depend on what does end up happening with the global economy. And you can definitely see some things in global economy that can develop into negative situations here in the near term. So with that, I will turn it back to you, Zach. I'm going to jump off here for a couple of minutes and we'll jump back on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the update this morning. BK, we'll jump right into fertilizers. I know that's also a hot topic here as of late as we try to get this spring season in the United States going. Good morning. I am definitely here. Hope everyone's doing well. Compared to one month ago, the fertilizer market is a little easier to understand, or it's a little more calm for the domestic. And part of that is the activity overseas has, frankly, surprised me a little bit. I really expected to see some higher prices, but at least it is fairly clear about why prices for fertilizer internationally are not moving up as quickly as we anticipated. In some cases, are moving down. I'll start with urea. Basically, the global market, as it always is, is waiting for India. We've seen some reductions in the import costs in India, and part of this is because they haven't issued a long-expected tender yet, and that's, again, not unusual for India. There's always a tender imminent, but imminent doesn't mean a whole lot over there. As a result, until that tender comes out, which could be any day, any week now, the spot market globally will probably continue to drift down a little bit. We think what's holding them up besides the normal process over there is that there are still questions about how they could make sure that they have a system in place that will allow them to buy Russian urea. We're pretty confident that that's going to be resolved. The Indians are clear they're going to buy. The Russians are clear they're going to sell to them. But each side needs to make sure that the money can change hands. There's some question also about what's the availability going to be out of China. As we talked about last time, the reopening of the Chinese export window has been delayed. And while it looks like the delay isn't going to extend into next year or anything that severe, it looks like it's just not going to be as uh, much available from China. But having said that, globally, at least, we expect to see some higher urea prices once the India tender comes out. And then what remains to be seen is what sort of a discount will they be able to win from the Russians versus other global suppliers? And that's going to be a pretty good illustration because that's part of what's going on here, especially for urea and phosphate globally, is that we have the sort of global market and then we have the prices the Russians are willing to sell at right now. We're seeing that especially in urea and phosphates. Moving down to nitrates, the current window for a lot of that import business, not just to the U.S., but elsewhere, is getting a little bit closer to when it's really needed. So we think the prospect for price fluctuations is a little calmer. UAN probably will be the one looking for still some room for some price increases there. But as folks I'm sure are aware, what we've seen is that urea has become cheaper in the near term. Certainly we expected it to be higher in the near term when we spoke last month. Ammonia is now looking a little bit softer, and I'll get back to that in, in a moment. But basically, you have the two of the three majors with a bearish look to them. So a good question is, can UAN really swim against the tide there as much? And, and I have my doubts. 
Now, we may see a bit of a divided market between what the pricing is available up in the interior versus some more aggressive prices, perhaps in the U.S. Gulf. But right now, it just doesn't look as scary to a buyer, it seems to me, as it did a month ago. Moving on to phosphates. Prices in Latin America are decreasing from sort of $1,300 a metric ton for DAP and MAP going into Argentina and Brazil to closer to $1,200. This is entirely, as far as we can tell, due to the aggressive offers for Russian product primarily. This has created problems for OCP, which has been holding out at that sort of $1,300 level for Brazil, only to find that they're being priced out of some of the business. We also have to take into account, I think with phosphates more so than urea, that we've come to the point where we are really seeing the impact of end-user reductions in demand due to high prices. And before, that's been more of a somewhat theoretical discussion, but now end-users have made their decisions. They know what they're going to do. So the importers for various markets, whether it's the U.S. or Brazil or elsewhere, are now reacting to what so far looks like a smaller demand just based on those high prices. So in that regard, the market is working normally. You would expect to see lower demand even for nitrogen in this type of situation. And that is definitely, I think, what's weighing on urea right now. The U.S. is re-exporting more urea at NOLA right now than the volumes we're seeing purchased for upriver. Now, most of that buying that comes out of the U.S. Gulf for the interior is already factored in under earlier transactions between parties. But nevertheless, the active buyers, whether it's for phosphates at NOLA or urea at NOLA, have all been dominated by traders looking to reload that product back on the boats and take it elsewhere, whether it's Mexico, Brazil, or points farther south. We're not seeing anyone line up a cargo for India yet, but maybe one day. Ammonia is probably where I'll leave off here, but basically... After the big jump we saw last month, we are now expecting a 50 maybe maybe $100 decline in ammonia prices. The ammonia suppliers who supply Tampa, you know, we're talking about the Tampa contract here, would love to get a rollover at last month's price. In other words, the April price. We don't think that's in the cards. We uh, expect, as I said, a 50 maybe even $100 decline at New Orleans. Now, that doesn't bring us back to where we were two months ago by any stretch. But again, out of the three key nitrogen products, it's another bearish direction. So to some extent, a very different picture than I gave you last month. But the best part of this forecast is that we now have a lot more transactions and a lot more situations showing what's actually happening here as opposed to a little bit less conjecture. Thank you very much. Thank you, BK. Appreciate the insight in the world market. It's definitely a dynamic one with everything going on, of course. Jake, let's try to quantify this for what this means for the U.S. producer going forward. Yeah, Zach, I'm going to try and be somewhat brief and let the group get more into questions. It's been just a few weeks since we last had our call. I think the main point to take away, which BK said, is there's been more transactions, which has given us a footing of where the market really is trading at. BK alluded to a big driver that we're keeping our eye on, which is India. So keep in mind, the urea market has fluctuated only about $40 a ton over the last few weeks since we visited. Now, normally that's huge volatility, right? 40 bucks is a pretty big swing. But given the fact that we're trading in the $700, $800 a ton price range, that volatility is somewhat small given what we'd seen prior to the run-up of this marketplace. When India steps back in, we believe that that should keep the world relatively stable on these nitrogen prices where we're currently trading at. We don't see it going much below the high to middle $600 during a reset for the fill and during summer months when the U.S. doesn't need to buy, primarily because 
the cost of gas in Europe and that being one of the floor prices that will help establish where urea production begins to shut off at and where it's unprofitable for some of these producers facing a different dynamic right now. With that being said, if demand destruction were greater than that, we could see prices drop somewhat further, but we don't anticipate that happening. Again, partly because of the moves that Brian talked about in the corn market, it being more profitable and having a little bit more stability to the forward months for people to lock in future sales and still have margin with some of these inputs. Another key point that we're watching is the prices in the U.S. are right now not being driven by consumption to the field. There has been very little application in these major states that we normally watch, the big corn growing states. And most of the application has been in the wheat belt, which is where we have our first move in the market. We're delayed in spring. This means we're delayed in ammonia consumption. We're delayed in P&K application. And normally when that happens, you would see prices start to get aggressive when prices are this high. And you'd have people trying to run themselves out of inventory. What we have going on instead is that people are looking to export the product out of the Gulf and go into Latin America. And because of that export, it's creating a floor higher than where the domestic interior market's trading. So as an example, we're having potash trade in the domestic market at $7.95 a ton, and we have barges trading at $8.30 a ton. And so what we have is an inverted market. And the reason why it's trading that is because you can export the product at a higher price. So this is creating a floor for the market. And I know a lot of you are thinking about what do I do for the fall? I can go sell corn and I can buy P&K. Well, if you sell corn, do go buy your P&K because that's de-risking your situation. Right now, we're at high prices. We're not recommending speculation. However, my gut bias is that the market's stable, particularly in P&K prices. Now I say stable, fluctuation, 30, 40 bucks. I don't see $100, $200 a ton price moves in the P&K marketplace. When we talk about phosphates in particular, 1250 is what's trading in Brazil. We've seen more liquidity there. We're seeing Russian tons liquidate there, even at 1200. The US markets is discount by well over 100 to $150 a ton. And so you would see exports coming out of the US. And we've seen that up until a few weeks ago. Right now, there's no barges in the Gulf to export. So the US market is going to likely stay very stable on phosphates. We don't see much of a reset coming on those prices. Urea, most volatility. Volatility likely doesn't come, though, until we get into the summer months. And we could see a bit of a pullback there, maybe 60 to 80 bucks a ton. And you get into that kind of cost floor we're talking about in Europe. And that would also drive down the UAN and the ammonia as well. Now, I do want to talk about ammonia. The ammonia system's interesting. It's a finite system. You just can't do that much more through that system, even if price got really cheap. And so, We see the ammonia being what the ammonia is. We don't see the domestic interior market probably reflecting much of a come off in price compared to what the Tampa market will. We believe that that ammonia price is going to stay somewhat stable to solid. So I'm not overly worried if you don't consume your ammonia, what your ammonia prices will look like for the fall. I do think that those are going to stay very stable as we go into the fall months. So that's kind of a quick recommendation and how I see it. Zach, and I think I'll defer here to the group to let them ask questions and see if we can't try and get some answers to some of the questions on everybody's mind. Yeah, before we do that, I just want to talk about our Triggers products, ADM CS43. If you guys do have any interest in that, definitely let your representative know. We are getting down to kind of our final totes. So if you do have any interest in that yet this year, 
definitely reach out to your rep and we'll get that coming your way. If you do have questions right now, feel free to ask away. Going into fall next year, I mean, are we really going to see nitrogen at a dollar a unit? Is that going to be the status quo or I'm sure it's been answered already. I was just trying to prepare a budget. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Jake, I guess you mentioned on the ammonia piece, it doesn't really feel like we're going to see a huge backwardation towards spring and summer here after spring season, after side dress. Again, because that ammonia system is finite, you can't really pump more through it. Jake, if you have any more input on that, go ahead. I think from a budget perspective, I'm looking at something between the low side of 70 cents a unit on nitrogen to the high side of probably around 90, 95 cents a unit on nitrogen. It's kind of the range I'm looking at. Now, I know that's an extreme range, but I don't see it getting or maintaining itself over a dollar a unit. I do think that UAN could have a bit of a premium more than what we've seen in the past, just because beyond the trade flow disruptions, we also have a duty investigation going on and it seems like we're less likely to get tons from international sources. And even if those international sources came available, one of them's Russian, so it doesn't come here freely and without all these other things going on too. So UAN probably being a little bit of a premium to what we'll see urea and ammonia trade at when we get into the fall. That one has the potential to be up in those 90 cents to maybe getting close to a dollar a unit range. That's what I think could happen today. Again, if you guys have been paying attention on these calls before, there's a couple factors that would make me wrong. One would be the cost of natural gas in Europe. Two would be what is China doing? When does China come into the market? Those are probably the two big unknown factors. It's very hard for us to know what they'll do until they decide to do it because it's kind of government-driven decisions. All things being equal, the market probably doesn't drift lower than something in the $600 a ton range on urea, which is in that $0.70 a unit. You had mentioned a 60 to 80 ton pullback on urea this summer. Is that the side dress timeline or are you looking more into the summer reset refill period? Summer reset refill. I think that most of the market's anticipating a pretty long top dress window. Prices get cut because people get nervous of positions. They start wanting to sell because they don't see demand liquidity. And I think that most people in the marketplace realize the amount of exports that's come out of NOLA and the fact that we've decreased the supply here in the U.S., the lack of production time we had in the first buildup of the fertilizer year and that fall time frame, all factors being equal, nitrogen felt tight, feels tight. If we go from 91 to 89 million acres and that's a real stick, that does help balance that nitrogen equation, right? And gives us a little bit more breathing room. But we've not seen an overburdened supply of urea out there. The reason I keep going back to that is you can kind of measure it by the prompt barges in the Gulf. If there's a lot of prompt barges in the Gulf you can buy for export, then prices are probably going to come off. There's just too much here. There aren't prompt barges sitting around in the Gulf for export cargoes. There's just not enough out there. So I still believe that the tail on the top dress is going to be very solid. We touched on sulfur quite a bit the last call. Where are we at? Sulfur looking forward, are we still tight to high going forward, do you think? Yes, sulfur has been tight. One of the big issues we've got going on right now, and one of the reasons why BK is forecasting some pullback in ammonia is you're not seeing these granulation units that make ammonium sulfate in Europe consume the ammonia. They're not making money. So global supply of sulfate is getting tighter. 
sulfur overall is still tight because you're having the phosphate plants running at full rates. At the end of the day, we've not seen any supply build yet. As we're heading into the top consumption period, I don't see a change in pricing. Am I recommending getting aggressive on sulfur prices for the next year? I'm not recommending that because usually we'll see a sulfur backup in that third and fourth quarter. That's usually when you see a little bit more slowdown of consumption and a backup in pricing. The interesting thing on that sulfur point is just last month going into April, we saw a $200 increase in sulfur bentonite, which is your elemental sulfur piece. So going into fall, it just feels like from an elemental side of the business, we're going to continue to remain extremely firm on that as sulfur bentonite just remains tight globally as well. So it doesn't feel like we're going to see a huge reprieve in the elemental side of the business either. Global supply of fertilizer. Do we have enough transports moving towards South America now for next year's crop? Are they going to be short? Of fertility. And the second part to that question is Russia is having to discount their oil to sell it. Are they having to do the same thing with fertilizer? My opinion is, and then this is based on some of the reports we've seen from CRU, that yes, the product from Russia is making its way to South America. We have some very big market share people who are refusing to buy Russian tons, and we have other companies who are buying Russian tons. And so, therefore, you've seen the product still head to Brazil primarily. BK, any thoughts or comments in regards to that that you'd share? Yeah, basically, Brazil is pretty much got a relatively open door policy. Now, you know, Yar, which is a big player over in Brazil, is not, but other Brazilian importers are buying from Russia. We've seen April and May, for example, we have two Fosagro and two Eurochem map cargoes, but mostly map confirmed going into Brazil. You know, I can also say with certainty that's who uh, Mosaic is turning to meet some of their Brazilian need. Funny old world. So right now, in terms of South America, we're not seeing a problem with being able to find transportation from Russia to South America. Most of that is based on product loading in the Baltic, which doesn't have the same issues with regard to the fighting that is an issue in the Black Sea. It will be interesting to see when the Russians start shipping to India, if that changes. I mean, they've certainly shipped from the Baltic to India before, but all the parties involved would much rather come out of the Black Sea because it reduces the travel time, et cetera, because it can go from there through the uh, Suez Canal, et cetera. So we'll see. But at least so far, we're not seeing on the dry bulk side an issue with getting the Russian product that is available to go overseas. What is coming into play is that because of the fighting, Ukraine is not expected to have a lot of urea to export. We're getting very conflicting stories about how planting is going into Ukraine, again, for obvious reasons. The Ukrainian government is saying their wheat production will still be able to go at 70 to 80 percent. A lot of folks think that's a rather optimistic point of view. But having said that, it's unlikely they're going to have that much more urea or UAN that they can export. How are we feeling on ending stocks here on corn going forward? It appeared we had a big farmer selling day uh, when it went above eight here a day or two ago. And what's the pipeline going to be like when we get to September? From the standpoint of where the USDA is at, the trade is probably closer to a 1.1 carryout on old crop stocks. The USDA is call it 1.4. It feels like. If you want to look at the trades number of 1.1, it feels like on a daily basis, that number's migrating a bit higher every day. It doesn't have as much to do with the domestic market as it has to do with the global market. 
from a standpoint of corn exports, they've been relatively routine considering the opportunity we've gotten. We expected to participate in the global export import market. So it feels like we're maybe migrating towards a 1.2 or potentially a little bigger supply than that on old crop. That by no means is a massive supply. That's a number that puts a lot of pressure on being able to raise a good crop the next year. But yeah, compared to where the USDA is, it feels like the number's quite a bit below where USDA currently is, but it also feels like maybe the numbers migrate in a little bit higher than where the trade is at this point. And potentially a modest increase could provide a little bit of a cap on old crop price action. Looking at our 2023 crop and our fertilizer needs, maybe we should uh, get some of our inputs locked in just without knowing what's coming down the road. It feels that way today, but again, we've said this numerous times before, you got to marry both sides of that equation, right? If you're going to go lock in, let's just say hypothetically 50% of your fertility needs for fall of 22 or what you guys would consider your 23 crop, you got to go be diligent, market the grain on the backside. That way you're trying to mitigate risk at all costs, right? And so it is high price, but again, the grain side of the market is rewarding you a little bit here with these 23 trading, very good levels. So again, you just got to make sure to be diligent and try to marry both sides of that together. Last month, there just seemed to be so much conjecture and unsureness in the air. See, normally you get your summer fill period where you'll get a reset on fertilizer. It almost seemed like it possibly wouldn't be coming, where it seems to be a little more of a possibility. Like last month, if you make a grain sale, make fertilizer purchases, are we more so possibly looking at a price breaking into the reset refill period now? Maybe getting those inputs isn't such a timely decision? I don't feel like there's a rush to have to buy the third Q pricing. Again, recommendation that I will stand behind is if you sell grain, buy your fertilizer. I personally like specking a little bit on P and K for the fall for what you're going to use without selling your grain today. That's my personal opinion, but that's not what the recommendation is. The reason I do that is because it's tighter controlled. It's an oligopoly and supply is still tight. I don't think the market has the time to back up during the third quarter and not even until into late fourth quarter when the market really starts to back back up. Now, from a nitrogen perspective, which I think is where most of your question's coming from, I do think there's a lot of time in between now and next spring. And so as you're selling your grain, I think you need to lock in margin. You need to lock in portions of that. But I do think there is more time for the market to figure itself out. The unknowns seem to be out there right now. You know, when you sit there and think and ask yourself, what else can go wrong? Really, the China factor is one of the last ones that could go wrong that could really drive the market one way or the other. So that's something I think we keep our eye on. But yeah, I do, I do agree there is a little bit more time. There's not near the uncertainty there was four weeks ago. Being in the Southeast, I'm not, I'm not as up to date on the livestock fertilizer, what the guys are putting on pastures and the grazing wheats and with the drought acres. I didn't know what those guys, how that's going to affect the U.S. market right now. When we get back to those drought areas, what are folks doing with all the drought and the livestock issues? Just curious how that would affect yeah. the market because that's not my part of this country. That's all west of me. Right now, it's just been a slow start for fertilizer applications. I don't believe that when we talk about the drought areas, 
I think we're more looking at Kansas and South, kind of into some parts of Texas. And those areas always need a rain, no matter what the situation is. We still have a wheat crop that's gone in the ground. I think that there is some fall through at the Milo and the corn acres as well. But I think in the states that are going to drive the fertilizer consumption, right now everybody's got moisture in those main states, which is probably going to have more to do with the price of fertilizer. What we're seeing is a condensed window. And ultimately, that condensed window means a bigger top dress season. And so top dress can probably drag itself on and really keep inventories in the states pretty low when we have a big top dress season. That is a wrap for ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report for April 2022. We are going to take a month off as you guys decide to plant your corn crop here, hopefully in the month of May. We'll hope for that. Until then, if you'd like to learn more about ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer, go to admfertilizer.admadvantage.com. Thanks for listening, and again, have a safe planting season. Thanks a lot, everybody.